Hello everyone, it is the Neighborhood Hype Girl and welcome to episode 5 of By the Order, a podcast where I discuss each episode of the amazing show Peaky Blinders. Whether you're returning or tuning in for the first time, I'm so happy that you're here. Now, it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello everyone. Before we get started, I need to do a little bit of a corrections corner. It was brought to my attention when I was listening to this episode that part of the audio cut out at a very, very crucial scene. And I'm going to go ahead and correct it now. And you'll know the scene whenever you get to it. It's just very important and I really didn't even want one word taken out. It's the scene after Grace and Tommy make sweet love, and here's the dialogue. Tommy says, I don't hear the shovels against the wall. They're laying there, and she says, what shovels? He doesn't answer her question, but he says, will you help me? Grace says, help you with what? Tommy says, with everything. The whole effing thing. Effing life. Business. I found you, and you found me will help each other, and then he kisses her. And that's that. Enjoy the episode. All right, so today I will be recapping episode five of season one of Peaky Blinders. It is the second to last episode of season one, and we have much to discuss. I am so excited because today I have a very special guest here with me. She is my buddy, even though we've never met. (laughs) she's my fellow only child sister my cinema loving sister she is someone I met through my Instagram account and she is someone that I legitimately trust with anything I fangirled so hard the day she followed me back on Instagram (laughs) she hyped me up about this podcast before I even started it and I'm so grateful for our friendship her name is BBDB, and she is from the amazing Instagram account, Bravo, Bravo, Ducking Bravo. Mm-hmm. How are you? Oh my gosh, to be hanging out with you, breaking Girl. down Peaky Blinders and just talking about life. I'm so, y'all have no idea. She and I have been talking, I mean, probably for like about years, year, right? Like, because <laughs> yeah. my account will be two years old on May 21st. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know what? I don't know actually if I've ever told you this, but I started like, I discovered you during the Monique versus Can- uh, yeah, versus Candace thing. Wild times. When you were doing your famous slow mo. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I remember you like had it posted on Instagram and you were like narrating it as it was <laughs> happening. And I was like, this chick is so cool. Like, I don't know why. And I like followed you. And then, yeah, I freaked out whenever you followed me back. So like, that's how I first <sighs> discovered you. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's how I became aware of you. And I've I been like it. a fan ever since. So Thank you so much for being here. It means so much to me. Um, it's an absolute pressure. And I love that we met because of mess, because of yeah. Real Housewives mess. <laughs> we love mess, y'all. We love mess. Um, okay, so this episode is just, um, 
it is a roller coaster of emotion. It is so much from beginning to end. Like I'm when I tell you, I genuinely, y'all, this y'all know who I am about sociology, and this episode is so special, truly not only to me, but I think anybody who can relate to um to what happens in this episode, it's very real, it's very raw. And then there's, I think, probably one of the best scenes in TV history romantically. Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny because BBDB actually specifically requested to be on this episode. And I, I love did. that. Yeah. You know, what? <laughs> it's the one it. episode of Peaky Blinders that if I close my eyes and think about Peaky Blinders, it's what I see. I just loved it so much. I truly understand it is um it's just breathtaking honestly Mm -hmm. and so I have a question and I didn't ask you this before if you could describe this episode in two words what would you say oh gosh in two words I would say um honest because I feel like everybody had a moment of like raw honesty with who they are and who other people are and you know that's every character in the, in the show that had like every character in the show has a moment in that episode to me. Yes. And so like honest. And then also, I don't know, because it's the episode where they knock boots to me, it's always like a lusty, (laughs) a lusty episode. Uh, yeah. Um, and oh my God, the anticipation, the will they, won't they, all of it, every, every move, every scene, nothing about it is like textbook. It's respectful. Don't get me started. I like it. <laughs> I I genuinely have no words. It is, we'll get to it. I have so many thoughts. Like I can't even, like there aren't enough words for me to think of <laughs> to yeah. actually describe this. So, um, okay. I love that. So this episode is so unique because it really explores a very difficult and important and deep chapter of the Shelby family. It discusses very real and a very sad dynamic between children and an absentee parent. I know a lot of people, including myself, can relate to it. I definitely, definitely got emotional while recapping this episode. I kind of hope that doesn't happen, but if it happens, it happens. Um, <clears throat> this episode also contains what I believe to be one of the hottest scenes in any television mm-hmm. show mm-hmm. I've ever seen. It is so jam-packed, so um, let's get to it. The writing and acting in this series is, they're just, it's incredible. But this episode in particular, it just made me so emotional. And um, yeah, let's just, uh, let's get started. So this is just another fun fact, y'all. Episodes four and five of Peaky Blinders only have two, um, two people that help write an episode everything else is written by um Stephen Knight this mm. was I guess I don't know if it was co-written or if this other person wrote the entire episode but um the person I'm gonna say that helped co-write was Toby Finlay and great episodes so here we go the episode opens it's a very brief scene and we just see Tommy walking and smoking as always And he's walking alone through a cemetery. And we see him walk up to a grave marked Daniel Owen. We quickly go from that scene to the next where we see Polly walking down the street, 
carrying a basket. It has bread and apples and other food items in it. It's raining and Polly is dressed beautifully as normal. The costumes are incredible. We see her walk into presumably what's someone's home and she walks down the stairs and at the end of the stairs there's a door with another basket just like the one she has in her hand except the basket has rotting food in it like rotting produce Hmm. polly knocks on the door and says open up love i brought more things for you and the baby got some fresh eggs and bread i'll leave it here As Polly is saying these words, we see Ada on the other side of the door holding and comforting her baby. Polly tells her, think of the little one. Babies don't have principles. Ada says nothing, and Polly just picks up the basket with the rotting produce and walks up the stairs. You can tell Ada looks pensive and kind of looks distressed. She definitely looks isolated for sure. In the next scene, we see Freddie Thorne, who is Ada's husband and father of her child. He is sitting in a cell looking exhausted, and his face face is bruised and covered in blood. And um, he definitely just looks disoriented and out of it. Like, he's been through it for sure. We see Tommy for a split second, and then Polly enters the room and places the basket with the old food on the table without a word. There's a moment of silence and Tommy looks scared to ask, but he says, did you speak to her? To which Polly replies, she didn't speak back. Tommy Hmm. then asks, did you tell her? And Polly replies, I'll only tell her what I know to be true. Tommy says, it's the last time I'm going to say this. It wasn't me who shopped Freddie Thorne. Polly says, Tommy, I'd ask you to swear on the Bible, but you can't swear on that, can you? Nothing you hold sacred. Tommy just stares at Polly as she walks out of the room. We see Grace in the office at the garrison doing her paperwork that she has been given the responsibility of keeping in order. Tommy walks in and Grace tells him that there's tea. Tommy ignores her and looks at what she's working on and says... The new system, everything in a diary, eh? She pulls a pen out, or he pulls a pen out of his pocket and marks December 3rd in the diary with a star. Grace asks what the star means, and Tommy says, Black Star Day is the day we take out Billy Kimber and his men. No one knows this. Grace asks, not even your family? And Tommy scoffs as he opens the door to leave the office, and he says, Grace... Everyone in my family hates me. Why would I tell them? Okay, so I know that wasn't supposed to be funny, but I kind of laughed. Like, he's just like, everyone hates me. But at the same time, I'm like, bruh, been there. The dark humor. And that's the thing is from the very beginning, even if he was, you know, sassy to her, because I think the moment they met, he's like, you know, are you a whore? Like, what are you doing at this bar? Yes. Um, But I think he's always been so brutally honest with her. And to me, that's one of the best things about his character and the show, because men be out there playing games, but not Tommy, not Not for one second. I love him so much. I know that you know that, but I'm Mm -hmm. just saying I love him so much. He's a little rough around the edges, but he doesn't play games. And I appreciate that. He is. But, you know, I know that his soul is just, Mm -hmm. just, you know, 
soft and he's breakable just like everybody else but I agree with you Mm -hmm. I love it me too so the next scene um let's just let's just do this we see Arthur and John walking and John says he's off the bloody rails is what he is if he'll turn nose on his best mate and then Arthur cuts him off and says bloody neighbors John snitch behind a curtain John says, yeah, well, if you think that, you're the only one who does. So this scene sounds chaotic. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of yelling, a lot of men screaming, and we don't really know what's going on just yet. But after John says this, we see men fighting, surrounded, and being cheered on by other men. Arthur says, look at this. Look, bloody raking it in. Who's running this carny? Their buddy, Johnny Dogs, walks up and says, name of Marston, intends on wintering in Small Heath with this ring. John said, ain't he heard? Nobody in Small Heath craps in a pot without the decree of Tommy Almighty. They approach this man and Arthur asks him if he's Mr. Marston. So yeah, like basically Tommy has to give his blessing on everything yeah like, he's like the godfather like if, literally if scams are going on in his yes. area you gotta and, run it through him first yep and he's gonna get a piece of it absolutely yeah. mr marston says that he's proud to say that he is mr marston arthur says these are civilized parts man wants to set his stall up with the fellows lamping each other he needs himself a license mr marston says a license And Arthur says, for a fee from those in charge. And as Arthur is saying this, he pours out a glass that has alcohol in it straight on the floor, just straight up asserting his dominance. Mm. The men are fighting in the ring. And honestly, for me, I actually, these scenes are hard for me to watch. I have to tell you, like, I don't really enjoy these scenes, the brutality of it, like, I I don't know (laughs) what do you think was it hard for you at all to watch or um... it is I mean but here's the thing it's it's hard for me to watch anyone even if I know it's not real it it doesn't matter anyone getting beaten yes Um, especially in situations where like even football I can't watch because I realize like people are yelling and cheering and screaming and making vets and whatever and I'm like and the gentleman is concussed and will deal with that for the rest of his life and we're yelling yeah. Um, so I, I don't like that at all. I mean, that's always that's always a rough one when those scenes come up because, you know, Peaky Blinders in general is a pretty it's a pretty um, gory show at times, mm-hmm. um, which can be, you know, it can be fine because you're like, OK, that's how people used to settle it back then. At least they weren't like litigious as hell and dragging things out like just go fight in the street and have it be over so there's part of me that kind of respects that yes <laughs> yes um but at the same time it is rough especially when if i think it's just a level of consciousness now uh, like um even in the movie like far and away like that was his only way of making money was just to try not to get the crap kicked out of him so right absolutely yeah <laughs> these no, things I are just <laughs> sad statements on the on the uh, economic situation for no, a lot of folks. seriously i'm glad i'm not alone because i was like am i being too sensitive like these men are willingly there but like i don't oh god i, I don't know i don't enjoy it y'all i don't enjoy it but i no. know a lot of people do but i mean it'd be like that sometimes yeah so mr marston has some brass ones and he says i'll tell you what 
how about I keep my money and you shove a license up your arse crack? Hmm. Arthur looks him dead in the face and gets closer and says, you don't want to speak to me like that. And then we just hear in the background say, who the bloody hell do you think you are? So Yeah, we hear that. And then we hear a man directly behind Arthur screaming at the top of his lungs. My name is Arthur Shelby. And so for a second when that happened, what was your first thought? My first thought was, oh, my God, is somebody there impersonating Arthur? Yeah, I thought so, too. And first of all, I just want to say, I don't know if it's just my dream, but I would love to be from like a well-connected, almost like kind of seedy mob-ish family where everybody knows just not to mess with you. Wouldn't that be great? No, that's me, too. Are you kidding? I would love it. (laughs) So I don't know. I can't remember if you saw my post the other day where I... I genuinely, I've grown, but I genuinely, whenever I still believed in marriage for myself, I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about for me. I had, I genuinely thought that I was going to marry a mob boss, like no joke. Well, you'd be amazing at it. First of all, secondly, (laughs) secondly, stop. (laughs) I have had the same, I have had the same aspirations because if you watch a movie, like I think it was crash where like Catherine Zeta Jones is pregnant. Something happens to her husband and she has to go move kilos of cocaine in order for their whole life to not crumble. Crash. Yeah. And I was like, I could do it too, girl. Like, I respect that. You got the belly. You out there trying to push some uh, product. Slim. Women are the backbone yes. of society. Yes. The central nervous system. But like that checks out that you also like had that thought because I'm like, look, I would never be Carmela Soprano, right? Like mm-hmm. I would never, I could never. Um, but I'm just like, you know, I, I, why, why did I want that? I don't, I don't know. Lots to unpack, but I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, it just seems like, I don't know. I don't know why that's somewhat appealing, but it's, it, it, it is for a sliver of a moment. It is just like the, just like the movies, like the town where your group of friends, you yes. guys get together and you don't necessarily like go bowling. Instead, you're like, what bank can we rob? I kind of, there's part of me that's like, I bet I could figure that out too. And how fun would that be with a group of friends? Well, see, this checks out though, because remember, like not long ago, I posted about, um, what was it? Ocean's 8, right? That's the one with yeah. all the women. And I was like, I've always low-key, y'all in the field, don't send the feds after me. I'm just talking. <sighs> I'm just an idiot talking on my Instagram account. But I'm like, I just- This is all for entertainment purposes. Yeah, y'all don't be- flagging my account or anything okay we're just talking and having fun okay don't send anybody for us um but I was like I think I think I could be part of this like I feel like I could contribute something Mm -hmm. (laughs) to this um again y'all we're just joking (laughs) lol lol ha 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 (laughs) all jokes um but yeah no I love stuff like that I've always been highly attracted to anything to do with the mob or just organized crime. I just, I can't help it. I have a lot of respect for it. And I think that's why I love this show so much because these guys literally started from the bottom Mm -hmm. and are honestly so much smarter than I could, for me, than I could ever imagine being and are 10 steps ahead just to survive, you know? Like, I don't know. I respect it. Not saying I want it. I'm just saying I respect it. Yeah, it's a lot of stress. We, I think we get burned out after like the first day. We'd be like, whoo, that was a lot. All right, we need a break. Oh, for sure. My anxiety could never. <laughs> literally. I literally could never. Like I have nothing going on. And I, 
like my heart races half the time same same I'm getting high every night based on just like cleaning my kitchen I cannot do more yeah no (laughs) yeah I just I could not be me but god I love watching it I love the risk-free fun it's the best Mm mm-hmm so um, we hear a man say that he's Arthur Shelby. And as the man screams this, Arthur looks confused and immediately disarmed. And he slowly turns around to look at the man who's, who's saying that. The man <clears throat> who said his name was Arthur Shelby was actually just in the ring fighting. And now he's on the sidelines looking disheveled, as I imagine anybody who was just fighting would look. And he's rehydrating, which I love. Stay hydrated, (laughs) y'all. Stay hydrated by order of the Pinky Blinders. Absolutely. Yes. Take a sip right now, everybody. Matter of fact, take two sips. Okay. Um, So then Arthur says, Dad. And when he said that, I was like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Shook. Because, I mean, here we are, episode five, and we don't know anything about their parents. All we see are these five Shelby kids just trying to not only survive, but thrive. Yeah. The man looks caught off guard himself and just looks at Arthur. He takes a, takes a minute and then finally kind of forces a smile and says, Jesus. And this brief moment, there's a look in Arthur's eyes and on his face that we really haven't seen before. The look of seeing somebody that shouldn't be a stranger after a long time of not seeing them. Mm-hmm. Which makes me really sad. I know a lot of people can relate. Um, I personally could. And I think that's part of the beauty of this episode. It's deep. <clears throat> it truly is. Um, in the next scene, we see... So I'm going to call him Arthur Shelby Sr. Because obviously it'll be really confusing if I don't um, do that distinction. So in the next scene, we see Arthur Shelby Sr. Who is fabulously portrayed by Tommy Flanagan. And I say fabulously because he makes me hate him. I mean, I've said this before whenever I interviewed um, Kristen in episode three. Whenever we recapped. Like, whenever I want to punch my TV or yell, like that's how you know the writing and the acting is great and Mm. that's how I felt about every scene this guy was in we see him sitting in the Shelby house and Polly John Little Finn and Arthur Jr. are there and Arthur serves his father a plate of food and his dad says thank you you're a good boy the energy here is weird. Did you sense it automatically when you were watching? Yeah, absolutely. I was like, okay, all right. This is, they're very, you know, kind of, there's, there's some distance. There's some issues here for sure. I just want to say too, that I love that actor that plays the, you know, the father. Oh just yeah. Amazing. You know, he was in Braveheart. He's awesome. And he's the perfect person for it. I thought. Oh my God. Okay. Don't kill me. As much as y'all, as much as I love and know film, are you about to say that you've never seen Braveheart? I've never seen Braveheart. <gasps> I know. I'll add it to the list you made me. I know. <laughs> okay, well, seen- you're gonna recognize him, and now to you, it's gonna be the Shelby father in I'm Braveheart like instead Mr. of the Braveheart Shelby. guy in Peaky Blinders. <laughs> oh my God! See, y'all, I'm telling you, this is how we're always teachable. Y'all know that I know my movies, but BBDB made me the best, and I'm still, I'm almost finished with it. Take this- your time with it this like incredible um 
list of classic movies and it's just like volume one I know that you have like 20 (laughs) more lists you could probably make me but um literally like this is the kind of relationship we have and I live for it so I'll (laughs) add it it makes no sense that I haven't seen that it makes no sense it really doesn't but I'm going to I'm going to okay (laughs) um so the energy here is weird and Holly just looks at Arthur Jr. and Arthur Jr. looks at her and I think why this episode just hits so deep is because Arthur is this, you know, baddie. He mm-hmm. is puts the fear of God in everybody. But when his father is around, he is just a little boy again in this yeah. grown man's body. And you can tell that he, oh God, I could cry. He is wanting his dad's approval and love so bad. Yeah. Like it's it's all he's working for throughout this episode and how hard he's working for it, I think is an indication of how much he's dreamed and prayed about his father coming back. And just to set a dynamic here, um, the man Arthur senior is Polly's brother. Just so we know the familial relationship here. Mm -hmm. So this scene, it's not funny, but it's just such an indicator of how much Polly knows her brother. Yep. Arthur Sr. begins to say grace over his food. And no sooner than he starts, Polly rolls her eyes and says, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, I mean, and we already know as the viewer, like, this is total BS, right? Like, what's happening? Arthur Sr. stops, smirks, and says, please, woman, not in vain. This is just a side note. As... Arthur Sr. turns his head to the right. We get a glance of his left cheek and we see that he has that scar going from the corner of his mouth to his ear. Mm -hmm. So that indicates that he might have been given a Glasgow smile during a little tussle at one time. Like this guy's been through it, right? Like we can tell he's lived a hard life. We can tell by his demeanor, everything. Polly is no nonsense because she's an icon queen that we love and adore and says finish your sandwich and swing your hook (laughs) like I love her she's just like no we're not we're not humoring this like no so Arthur senior says Pollyanna I am the guest of the head of this family so why don't you maybe tend to your mangle or your scuttle John quickly correct yeah like what John quickly corrects his father and says the head of the family ain't here Arthur Sr. looks at Arthur Jr., who looks really regretful to say this, and says, Tommy, he sometimes helped me with the business, Dad. Arthur looks very embarrassed and ashamed to be saying these words to his father. Like, Uh you know, like, basically, I'm the oldest. He should technically be running it, right? Yeah, yeah. But Tommy's there. Tommy's the one doing it. We hear a door open, and... Arthur Sr. says, oh, speak of the devil. He puts down the knife he was holding. So, yeah, the whole time he was speaking before this, he had this huge, long knife in his hand. Hmm. Tommy comes around the corner and just stops when he sees his father. Arthur Sr. asks Tommy, how are you, son? And Tommy just stands there looking at him. Tommy very subtly shakes his head and says, or shakes his head no, and tells his father to get out. His father says, come on, son, I'm a changed man. Yeah, okay. No, you're not. Mm -hmm. Stop lying. 
Tommy again has his famous poker face from the gods. And again, he never raises his voice. To me, that's like the scariest, right? When the yes, that's what raise... I like the most. Me yes. too. It's so effective. Somebody says, somebody said that, oh, it was Meryl Streep, icon queen. She said that um, Clint Eastwood on the set, whenever he's directing, he never raises his voice. And it like immediately makes people stop talking because they have to like mm-hmm. struggle to hear. And I think there's so much power in that. Like, if you're going off on me, but you're calm, I'm so much more scared than if you're like going off. Honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the control that's just about to break. Yeah. I completely agree. If somebody's screaming and yelling, you're like, what's wrong with that person? And you just sort of tone it, turn it out. Yeah. And then you just want to get away from that situation because you're like, they're spiraling. They have issues. I have to go. But if somebody is super measured and controlled and saying something way more powerful. Absolutely. So Tommy just again has his poker face and he says, this family needed you 10 years ago. Mm-hmm, facts. And you walked out on us. Not now. Get out of this house. Ooh. Loved it. He wasn't yeah. even going to humor it. No, not playing this. He said, get out. Love it. Arthur Jr. is sitting there looking more timid than we've really ever seen him look. Arthur Jr. says, you know, he's not saying it with confidence. He's saying it kind of low. He says, Tommy, he's different. And Tommy quickly shuts him off, shuts it down and says, shut up. Mm -hmm. Again, Arthur looks scared and timid. And Arthur Sr. looks at Arthur and says, it's all right, son. Arthur Shelby never stays where he's not welcome. He pushes in his chair, grabs his coat, looks at Tommy and says, quite something you've become. Tommy just looks at him and as Arthur Sr. walks out, he touches little Finn's hair, like kind of, you know, messes with it and says, bye, son. Hmm. Little Finn turns and watches his dad walk away for a split second. But his brother, John, who's standing next to him, kind of nudges him back to, like, looking at them in that room, basically telling him, don't pay any attention, and we don't need him. And that also made me sad. You know, that little boy just, yeah, you know. You have to just let that go. Yeah. I don't understand how people have kids and know they're out there and, like, just come and go. Like, I can't, I'm not a mother and I can't comprehend it, truly. Like, you have all these kids and you're just going to be like, okay, like. I'm leaving. Um, maybe yeah, I don't get that. it. I don't get it either. That's yeah. it's. I don't know. It's something that has to do with people and their psychology. And either they don't feel like. I mean, I'm sure there's situations where they don't feel like they're good enough, and my kid will be better off without me. Which, by the way, there's a movie called Stella Star. I don't think that was on my list for you. Oh but no, it wasn't. Highly recommend. Thank um, you. It I was trust made you with again. anything. <laughs> it was made again years later with Bette Midler and it's called just Stella and okay. highly recommend that. In fact, that's the version I would recommend to you, Stella with Bette Midler. Um, but there are situations like in, you know, I don't know where a parent might think I'm a detriment to my child. They're better off without me. Their life would be better. And then there are situations like this, like the Shelby patriarch where you feel like he's got his own demons and they're right. so strong that he does nothing but cause destruction. And the kids have had to just learn to say, we can't take on your stuff. You got to get out of here. Right. Yeah, no, <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah, it was um, it was tough, tough to watch. 
Yeah. The room is filled with silence, and Arthur says, he's our dad. Tommy is not being swayed by this at all, and he just calmly says, he's a selfish bastard. Mm. Arthur looks sheepish and says, you calling someone a selfish bastard? That's a bit rich, Tommy. I mean, what about ism? What about ism? <laughs> what about ism? <laughs> he goes, thanks to you, we're already down a bloody sister. This gets Tommy's attention and he mm -hmm. kind of perks up and he says, you want to see him? You go with him. And as he's saying this, he's pointing in the direction of the door. Arthur jumps up and it looks like he's about to challenge Tommy. He gets kind of close, but he doesn't. And instead he walks away and out the same door his father just went. He doesn't want that smoke. Yeah, he doesn't. No, he knows. Mm -hmm. He knows. He knows who runs that. So we go to the next scene and we see Grace keeping the books at the garrison and Arthur walks in and says he's taking five pounds in petty cash and Grace says they don't have five pounds in petty cash. Then he says, then I'll take what we've got. And Grace says, count it and leave a receipt. Grace says, Arthur, there are things in these books I don't understand. Arthur says, likewise, <laughs> which is why Grace <laughs> is there because Arthur's not getting it. <laughs> Grace says, every week we pay one pound and ten shillings by postal order to a Daniel Owen in London. So that's the name on the grave that we saw in the very mm -hmm. opening scene, y'all. See, like I said, everything in these episodes has to be documented. I swear to you, every line, because it ties up every loose end. I, it's just beautiful. It's not a lot of sh shows are like that. And I just love that about this show. Arthur says Danny Wisbing hangs around the pubs in Camden Town Wharf for us, keeps his ears open for business. He's a good man. Grace says, I thought D Danny Wisbing was dead. Arthur says, then you thought wrong, didn't you? Grace says, but I've seen his grave. He was shot. And Arthur is just giving information as easily as he does. Like, I swear, this is why Tommy runs things. Because Arthur should not be saying this. No. To somebody that's, like, not a Shelby or not in the inner circle. And it's like, oh, my God, Arthur. God bless him. I love him so much. Yeah. Um, Arthur says, that was a show to satisfy the Waps. Tommy just shot some sheep's brain at him. You can tell Grace is smiling and she actually looks genuinely amused because yes. you can tell, I mean, obviously we know that Grace and Tommy feel a certain way about each other and she looks amused and she asks who's buried in his grave. Arthur, by the grace of God, kind of realizes that, realizes that he needs to shut up and tells Grace that if she knows what's good for her, she'll stop asking questions about things that don't concern her. It's at that moment that Grace looks a little scared because Arthur is usually kind of the goofy, easygoing one. Arthur puts a coin in front of her on the table and tells her that that's for her and then says, don't tell Tommy I took this as he walks out of the garrison. In the next scene, we see Grace walking in the cemetery that we saw Tommy walking through in the first scene. She stops at the grave of Daniel Owen. So in the next scene... We're at the fighting ring and we see Arthur Sr. walking with his arm around Arthur. Arthur Sr. says, the boy needs a good hiding if you ask me. Arthur responds, yeah, well, Aunt Polly's close to giving him one. Arthur Sr. says, John and Ada too, it sounds like. 
They sit at a table where little Finn is already sitting. And Arthur Jr. mentions John and his wife, Esme. Arthur Sr. asks Arthur if he has a woman. And Arthur is silent and just takes a sip of his beer. Arthur Sr. says, perhaps when it suits Tommy, eh? Arthur says, yeah, well, he's been different since the war. Arthur Sr. says that war can change a man and that he's speaking from personal experience. Mm -hmm. Little Finn asks his father where he fought, and Arthur Sr. says, all over, son, all over. Then the salvation of Jesus Christ spread his light over me, and as a pilgrim, I come to visit the new world. (sighs) Like, obviously, in that moment, we knew that he was, like, just a con artist, right? Like, if we didn't know it before. For sure. It's so sad. Arthur Jr. says, America. Arthur Sr. says, where I beheld the future, casinos, money factories, son. And then he proceeds to sell Arthur Jr. the dream. Arthur Sr. pulls out a piece of paper out of his pocket and tells Arthur that he's been studying the competition and their schemes and systems. Arthur Jr. is very intrigued and just keeps telling him, show me, show me. Arthur Sr. says there's a fortune to be made there. He basically says that he's an old man, but he still has a dream and that his dream is the Shelby Casino and Hotel. We see terrible. Now, this is where I start to get upset. Oh, God. No. Oh, my God. Me, too. (laughs) This is some glass. This is Glass Castle. And I start to get upset. Uh, no, I literally, I'm telling, I am not kidding when I tell y'all, I literally, like, there were tears rolling down my face multiple times. I'm just, like, sitting on my couch alone recapping this episode, mm-hmm. and he is selling his son this dream. Yeah. And the way that Arthur just responds, it is just absolutely devastating. And y'all, I know that I've given this actor accolades before, but the man who plays Arthur, played by Paul Anderson, is absolutely fantastic and um i truly didn't really know about him until i started watching this show and i just have to give him mad props because he is just fantastic incredible he emotes like crazy the intensity he has um and then you know the vulnerability too he switched so quickly in this episode (sighs) to show you this this yes. like little vulnerable child inside of him that wants his dad to like him. And I think that it, it usually is more difficult with like the oldest child and he's named after him and he yes. wants him to. Yeah. It has the most memories of him. Like he yep. has way more memories of him than little Finn that's sitting there. Like look at exactly. the age difference. Right. Yeah. So Arthur senior says that and we see Finn's face light up and he looks impressed. You know, he's a little boy finally sitting there with his dad. Like, and I don't know how old Finn is. Honestly, I would say no more than like, I don't know, between 10 and 12. It's probably been 10. Right. Like, so he's been gone for 10 years. Like, does Finn even know his dad? Like Mm. at all? So yeah, that was, it's so, it's so sad y'all. Um, Arthur is selling this dream to Arthur Jr. And he's talking about how people will come from all over places like Chicago and Boston to stay at the Shelby. Arthur looks intrigued. Then this part, Arthur Sr. says that the Shelby Hotel and Casino 
will be a place where he can stand proudly with his children by his side. Mm. My heart, my heart, I can't. Arthur just looks like he wants to please his dad. Like, I'm going to use the word daddy. Like, that is his daddy. He loves him. And he wants to please him. And he wants to do everything he can to get his dad's approval and to make this happen. He asks his dad how much he needs to get started. And Arthur Sr. replies, the oak needs but an acorn. To which Arthur replies, let's do it. Hmm. Arthur Sr. says that it would make his heart beam, but that he doesn't want to cause any discord between the brothers and asks Arthur to talk to Tommy first. This was such, as sick as this was, it was actually a brilliant manipulation tactic. I hate to to give him accolades for this, but he knew exactly what he was doing by saying Tommy's name in this. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, he was planting a few seeds to turn, to try to turn Arthur, you know, against Tommy. Like maybe you'll have a girlfriend when Tommy says it's okay. Just these little things of animosity and trying to make it seem like Tommy doesn't understand you, but I do go steal money from me. Absolutely. Yeah. He's teeing it up for his own success. Mm -hmm. Arthur says like it immediately happens. Like he gets the immediate reaction he wants. And Arthur Jr. Says that he's sick of taking order. And that Tommy is not the only one in the family with a head for business. And that Shelby money is Shelby money. Then Arthur says something that he just, Arthur Sr. just keeps breaking my heart. He says, I thank God for my wonderful sons. Oh. Right? (laughs) Like, like just rip my heart out right now, like over Mm -hmm. and over and over. They cheers and say slancha, which means health in Gaelic. It's a cheers. And even little Finn drinks, which I think is so funny. Like, Finn is there everywhere, like, <laughs> throughout the fighting, throughout the drinking. Like, he's Yeah, there. it's like, it's like Ashtray. He's yes! Just yes! It is! <laughs> he's a little ride or die. Oh, my God. How he did not make that little Ashtray? Yeah. little icon. He just grew up in this. It's totally normal. He did. He's just part of the game. Nobody yeah. even turns in. <laughs> how did I not make that connection? God, that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I love it. Um, so, okay. Then Arthur Sr. commands Arthur. He says, on your feet, soldier. Arthur Jr. looks confused. And Arthur Sr. says it again. And then they go to the fighting ring. And, girl, this scene also <laughs> broke my heart. Like, I, it yeah. kills me. We see them in the sad. ring. And Arthur Jr. is just, you know... He's like, I don't want to fight, Dad. He, he doesn't want to. And his dad replies, come on, boy. I'm old enough to be your father, which in itself is comical. Like, mm-hmm. you are literally his father, but okay. So Arthur Sr. slaps Arthur a few times, and Arthur doesn't respond. He's still scared. Like, yeah, they're two grown men, but he doesn't want to hit his dad. Mm-hmm. And so he finally gets riled up enough, and he does. And they start fighting, and each person gets a few jabs. And then his dad asks him if that's all he's got. Arthur Sr. knocks Arthur down and Arthur's down bad. And there's no other way to say this. He's being degraded, like literally degraded, like physically, verbally. People are staring and kind of muttering like this isn't fun anymore. It's awkward. And Arthur Sr. walks up to Arthur Jr., picks him up off the ground 
and screams, oh God. He says, this here is Arthur Shelby Jr., my son. I love him and I'm proud of him. And he can fight any one of you in here. While he's saying this, Arthur's face is bloodied, but it's like it doesn't matter because through the blood and the mess, you can tell he is just so proud to be there with his dad and that his dad is praising him. Yeah, it was very sad. It, it was devastating, truly. The crowd cheers and Arthur Sr. holds up Arthur's hand in victory like he's some prize fighter that just won a boxing match. Mm-hmm. Arthur embraces his son and says, you did good, son. You did good. And Arthur is just so happy and he's hugging his dad back and the crowd is cheering. They're really loud. And Arthur is just hugging his dad. I, and I don't mean hug like he is like squeezing his dad he's so Mm -hmm. happy to be there and he's screaming over the crowd i love you dad i love you like oh god terrible it it truly was i just i don't know maybe i'm ultra sensitive but i oh i hope i know this will resonate with some people it is just absolutely it's so painful to watch yeah it really is just like the whole episode is highlighting the incredibly dysfunctional and manipulative you know relationship you can have with a distant parent so sad and how you can be done dirty and just still have hope that they've changed yep. and yeah it's um there's a lot of beauty in that sadness but yeah it's um yeah it's it's very important and the next scene so this whole scene is wild to me and the next scene we see tom uh, tommy at the garrison smoking and drinking alone And he is joined by a man. This man walks up to Tommy, rests on the bar and says, Mr. Shelby. And Tommy takes a puff of a cigarette calmly and says, who's asking? The man says that his name is Mr. Byrne, portrayed by Tom Von Lawler. And that he had word from Tommy's man in Camden Town that Tommy wanted to parley. Then Tommy replies, then parley it is. Mr. Byrne. This man who, who plays Mr. Byrne did a fantastic job. He did. He scared me. He was creepy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, creepy as hell. You knew, yeah. No, you knew he wasn't playing. He was there for business. He was there to handle business. And all, honestly, can you imagine how, how balls out that is to know that everybody knows where to find you? Mm-hmm. Like, if you were just a guy who ran the town or a gal who ran the town and, or, a, you know, a ladies, ladies, whatever, who ran the town and you had an establishment that was your establishment and everybody knew if they had beef with you, all they had to do was come into that bar and find you. It's not like there was an army in there with him. So to me, I feel like that's, it's pretty like, you know, admirable that he's I mean, just there. <laughs> I, I think if there's anybody that understands how scary it is, it's you and I who don't even show our face or our name. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) That's my nightmare. We don't even say where we're from or our names or like the most we reveal are our voices. Like, yeah, no, I literally can't comprehend it, which is why I would be a horrible mob boss. Yeah, um, true. It's yeah, no, that's absolutely terrifying. Like there's, there's no such thing as a moment's rest whenever you're in this type of business. 
Literally, like, what if we, if you were just like, anybody could walk in and talk to you at any moment, you're just going to be in your little shop and they're going to be like, you know what? I hated her take on that episode and I'm going to go tell her. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. Like, yeah, no, couldn't be me. Well, not ever. No, no, Uh, please. No, (laughs) please, please. No. Yeah. So it's so scary. So he just walks in and Mr. Byrne tells Tommy that a few months ago, a man named Ryan went into the garrison wanting to buy some goods from Tommy. And then Mr. Ryan was met with an accident and was shot. As he says these words, we see Grace at the end of the bar and she's working, but she's listening to this conversation. And obviously it catches her attention because she was the one who shot the man they're speaking of. Tommy says that he heard of this incident. Mr. Burns says that Ryan was a man with a quick mouth. And that he wondered if Ryan made any enemies while he was in there, meaning the garrison. Tommy says he knew of none. Tommy tells Mr. Byrne that all are welcome in the garrison. And Mr. Byrne says, including Irish. Tommy says, oh, especially Irish. Mr. Byrne reminds Tommy that Ryan told Tommy that he was a member of the IRA, which is the Irish Republican Army. And asked Tommy if Ryan was still welcome. Tommy once again states that any man that wants to buy a beer is welcome. Mr. Burns says, perhaps you didn't believe him. At this moment, Tommy's body language changes and he turns his entire body to face Mr. Byrne. He says, calmly, of course, Mm -hmm. in pubs, sometimes people say things. Sometimes it's the whiskey talking. It's hard to tell which. Mr. Byrne replies and says, as a teetotal man, I find it amusing, except when it ends in tragedy. So y'all know I try to be teachable and I try to learn new words. I did. I, this show really has me looking up a lot of words and the word I looked up teetotal because I had never heard it before. (laughs) And it means of, or relating to advocating or pledge to total abstinence from intoxicating drink. So I just mm. thought that was interesting. I had never. I heard love that it. Word. Me too. And I don't drink. And I'm like, am I a teetotal woman? You, like, well, you know now. <laughs> I am now. <laughs> Which, yeah, super interesting. I learned so much. I swear, culturally and like vocabulary-wise from the show. So Tommy jabs at him figuratively and asks him if he would like some water and cordial. Mr. Byrne informs Tommy that even though Ryan was reckless, he was very well connected to their brotherhood by membership and by blood. He then reveals that Ryan was his cousin. So now this is extra personal, y'all. Yeah. This is extra personal. And we were already scared. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's serious. We don't mess with the IRA. Mm -mm. He says that he, meaning Mr. Byrne, is from South Armagh and that he is a man of influence there. Like, obviously, they're not going to send some bottom feeder to talk to Tommy Shelby. Like, no. So, as Mr. Byrne is speaking these words, it really appears that he and Tommy's faces are just inches apart. And it really just looks like they are on the brim of just throwing down. Truly. Yeah, I was scared. I was like, is this what's gonna happen I'm scared that's the thing about Peaky Blinders you just never know it yeah. can pop off at any moment <laughs> we never know when it's going to happen <laughs> Mr. Byrne tells Tommy that a water and cordial would be grand 
Tommy then asks Grace to bring some water and cordial to the snug. So this was actually a funny moment for me because in the previous episodes, I always refer to the side room of the garrison where like it's reserved for the Peaky Blinders. I just call it the side room. But I was like, what's a snug? So again, I looked it up. And yeah, so it's a British term that means a small secluded room in a tavern as for private parties. So now, yeah, I didn't know. I literally, episodes one through four have been calling it the side room. So everybody, it's a snug. That's what it means. (laughs) So they go into the snug and Mr. Byrne tells Tommy that his cousin went there to buy guns. And Tommy says that he doesn't have any. Mr. Burns smiles. And by the way, everything about this man is terrifying, even his smile. Yes. And it's so funny because he's not really a large man. Like, he's not physically intimidating, but his whole energy and just his whole vibe is, like, crazy. I don't know. Like, it's so, it speaks volumes. It's screaming, even though he doesn't look like, oh, yeah, like, I'm about to, you know, attack you. He's just terrifying to me. He is. I mean, he looks like a he looks like a guy who would fight dirty. That's why. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's so creepy. So Mr. Barnes says your man Danny Owen, which again we know is Danny Wisbing, talks a lot when he's drunk. He says the Peaky Blinders do have the guns robbed from the factory down the road. He boasts about a stack of Lewis machine guns and a belt of ammunition to hold up god's trousers like i could never write like that that's so genius Mm -hmm. a belt of ammunition to hold up god's trousers brilliant so while mr Byrne is saying all of this tommy has his trademark poker face and he smiles and reaches for his cigarettes and says yep that sounds like our danny he has an imagination like i say sometimes it is the whiskey that does the talking While Tommy's talking, Grace walks into the snug and his drink and then walks out. Mr. Burns says, he says only the brothers know where the guns are kept. Tommy says, Tommy's like basically gaslighting this guy, honestly. Amazing. (laughs) It, It literally is. He goes, well, Danny also says he sees a German infantryman on the back of milk carts and he shoots them with his broomstick Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know what in that entire exchange he never denies it though no seriously absolutely you're right that's the art of this man he's brilliant Mm -hmm. mr burns says that he has men in the bsa factory and they say it's tommy who has the guns you know what i think is brilliant too about tommy's strategy is that he's like, if this man is just going to keep talking, I'll let him just keep talking so I know exactly how much he knows. <laughs> Absolutely. No, seriously. The guy just keeps going. He just, just keeps going. So, you know, I, this whole thing is just, I don't know, this whole interaction is so crazy. And... Mr. Burns says that he also has men in the police station and he says every finger, Mr. Shelby, every finger in this city points to one direction. Please don't mistake me for a fool. And he chugs his drink, his water and cordial because he's a teetotal man. Mm -hmm. Mr. Burns says that he says he doesn't care about the half-arsed 
tinker operation Tommy has going there, but that he can assure Tommy that he represents a very different category of organization. He stands and leans over the table and says that his cousin was shot. And then he says, I am judge, jury, and executioner. If I find you guilty, I'm sorry, he says, I find you guilty and I pass sentence. You deliver the guns to me or I deliver death and hell's fury to you and your little tribe of heathens. And he's like trying so hard to intimidate Tommy, who again, just isn't shook at all. Like he's just sitting there as this man is trying to make his presence known and stand up and lean over. And Tommy just doesn't care because that's not the kind of thing that shakes Tommy, honestly. No. And I think Tommy's one of those people too. Like, you know, they, several times throughout this episode, they have a flashback to him in the war and terrible things that he had to live through and and whatever. And so I think it's really hard to shake someone like that. Agree. Like whatever. I agree. Mr. Byrne asks if he's making himself clear and Tommy just sits there famously stoic. And then he finally calmly leans forward and says, let me confess something to you and only to you. Tommy says in a barely audible whisper, I have the guns, but they have become a burden to me. Perhaps it is time to unload that burden for the right price. It's at this point that Mr. Burns sits back down on his seat and he and Tommy just stare at each other. And we go to the next scene. So we, in the next scene, we see Tommy and Chief Inspector Campbell standing behind what kind of looks like a screen and they're in a public place and you can hear, you know, people around them going about their daily lives. It looks like they might be back at the dry cleaners and the dry cleaners that we saw in the very first scene of this series. Yep. I think that's yep. where it is. Cause you know, all that red is there. I think so too. Yeah. Right. Okay. I was trying to, I was like, I think that's where it is. That seems to be the place where it all goes down. So we see chief inspector Campbell who I know we both love, Sam Neill, who, again, is incredible in this show because I hate Chief Inspector Campbell so much. Mm -hmm. And that is only accomplished by incredible acting and writing. So Chief Inspector Campbell is holding a police notice, and at the top it says $100 reward. Tommy points to a mugshot on the page, and Chief Inspector Campbell says, Malachi Byrne. Brigade commander of the South Armad IRA. You hooked yourself a big fish there. So yeah, he's dealing with the big dog. Tommy says, with these guns as bait, who know what we'll catch? Campbell says, we? Are you suggesting that you and I could work together as a team? Tommy says, perhaps we have more in common than you think, Inspector. Campbell asks Tommy if Tommy can deliver Mr. Byrne. And Tommy says that he can but they'll, he'll have to do it with Campbell's help. Campbell says that, I'm sorry, Tommy says that he wants word put out in Ireland that he, meaning Tommy, was not involved. He wants yeah. his name cleared, honey. Yeah, I would tell. Yeah, no, like, y'all aren't coming after me. <laughs> no, no, no. Campbell then says that he would be solving a problem for Tommy. And Tommy responds and says that he would be winning a medal for Campbell. Uh-huh. Tommy tells Campbell that he has a question for him since they're getting along so well. 
And the question is, who gave him Freddie Thorne? Campbell responds and says, as everyone in the city knows, it was you, Mr. Shelby. And he immediately walks away. Tommy is still perplexed. He still doesn't know who gave up Freddie Thorne. But he looks puzzled and he just walks away himself. (laughs) And the next scene, we see Arthur Shelby Sr. walking in what looks like kind of a back alley. And he's not walking for long before he knocks on a door very lightly. And through the window, we see Arthur Jr. realize that somebody's knocking on the door. And he goes outside and hands his dad a bunch of cash and bands and tells his dad that it's all there. And his dad responds and says, it is indeed. We're going to build something with this son, something Mm -hmm. magnificent. Arthur asks his dad, when do we sail, dad? Arthur Sr. says, hungry for work, are you? Ship sails Friday. Meet me at the boxing ring. Arthur Sr. just further manipulates his son by lovingly touching his face. And Arthur says, Friday. And Arthur Sr. just walks off with all that cash. And Arthur is just standing there in the alleyway looking a bit nervous. But you can tell he's excited to just start this new thing with his dad. You know what this reminds me of? Please tell me. Uh, Euphoria Cassie when she would let her dad in. Because he knew he could call her. He knew he couldn't call the, you know, the other sister. She wouldn't fall for it. But he would call Cassie and she would open the door and he would steal something else. Absolutely. That mm-hmm. whole backstory of Cassie, just side note, y'all. Um, one of the most heartbreaking so episodes sad. I've ever seen I, of any show ever. And I had people respond and say that their dad that did that to them too. Mm. It's real, y'all. All this stuff, I swear. It's devastating. Terrible. It is terrible. Like the audacity to put your child in that position. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, okay, BBDB, this scene, (laughs) I, I'm going to go through it, but obviously I want your thoughts because this is one of the most, anybody that knows me, authenticity is everything to me. And so for me, like friendships, romantic relationships, like they're not strong. Like if you don't know, like if you haven't, I know this is going to sound cheesy, but like, I'm actually being completely serious. Like if you don't know my soul and if I don't know yours, like I don't want the relationship, Like I mm-hmm. really, that's how I feel, whether it's friendships, whether it's um, a romantic relationship. And this scene that we are about to discuss is one of the most important and raw scenes of the entire series of Peaky Blinders. Absolutely. I have not seen episode or season six, but I know this is one of the raw scenes. And it's one of the most raw scenes I've seen of any show that, that I've ever watched. Okay. Yeah. And it's um, beautiful. And let's just get into it. Oh, I can't wait to discuss this with you. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. Okay. So the scene opens and we see a very different version of Thomas Shelby here. He looks nervous. He looks scared. And that only happens when Tommy knows that he's not in control. Mm -hmm. He is, um, we see Grace alone in the pub. She's cleaning up and there's a sudden bang at the door. Tommy walks in swiftly and he's on high alert. He's looking around the pub and he tells Grace, I'll leave that open. And he points to the door. And again, 
out of control. He's rearranging chairs at a table. Grace doesn't know what's going on. And she goes to pour him a drink, I think, in hopes to, like, calm him down. And Tommy quickly tells her no. She asks him if he's expecting trouble. And he says yes. Tommy pulls out his gun and is making sure that it's loaded and ready. Grace asks at this hour. And Tommy says midnight is as good an hour as any. Which is kind of funny because I don't know if you noticed this. I was shocked whenever he said midnight because it kind of looks daylight outside. Yeah. And I didn't understand that. I was like, is there a street light right there? <laughs> I'm like, did production not get that right? Like, uh-huh. was, Production was, has like <laughs> 5 p.m. lighting on. <laughs> I know. I was so confused, but I'm like, all right, we're, we're going to go with it. We're, We're gonna go, go with, with it. it. Whatever Tommy if, says. If I can watch, if I can watch a movie where we assume that there's a magical mailbox that brings mail between Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock <laughs> at a lake house, then I can accept that it's midnight and there's light coming in this window. I'm living for that reference. Thank <laughs> you, God. I'm obsessed. I love that. Like, what was that? I don't understand. Love them both. <laughs> no slander for Keanu or Sandra, but like. Totally fine. I'll respectfully, take it. Respectfully, what was that? <laughs> so, but that's good because that means we can just accept this without asking questions. I'm just. Exactly. We'll, we'll go on it. this ride. Yep. So, um, Grace is looking kind of scared and she asks him what the hell is going on. Tommy replies and says. When the St. Andrew bell strikes midnight, two IRA men are going to come through that door. When they have what they want, they plan to kill me. It's your job to stop that from happening. She tells him that he could have given her more warning. And he says, I just got the warning myself. He says, they want to meet me here alone. And Grace says, and y'all remember this, and barmaids don't count. Tommy says, no, barmaids don't count. Now you're going to be in that back room. I'm going to be sitting here. When I make a toast, you're going to come out with that thing raised. You don't shoot. You just point. I will do the rest. While he's saying this, he's pointing to a gun on the bar. Grace grabs the gun and asks if he's going to kill them. Kill them. And Tommy says, no, the police want them alive. Grace asks, the police know about this? Tommy doesn't answer and says, look, just hold it up. He puts the gun in her hand and then helps her with her form and says, just point, right. We hear the bell ring and then he tells her to go to the back room. She does so and he puts three glasses on the table as well as a pitcher and we also see a bottle of some sort of alcohol. He looks at his pocket watch and then the bell rings again. Tommy sits there stone-faced and wait. And uh, he waits. We listen to the bell ring multiple times. We see Sergeant Moss and other coppers standing in the rain, hiding behind what looks like crates. And Sergeant Moss says, we'll hold back here if any damage is done to either side. It's no concern of ours. Then we see the two IRA men walk in the door, just like Tommy said they would. And one of those men is Mr. Byrne. They sit at the table without a word being said, and Tommy immediately pours Mr. Burns some water from the pitcher because he remembers he doesn't drink, a considerate Mm -hmm. king, and (laughs) he pours the other man a drink from the liquor bottle. The man 
who I don't ever see his name, so I'm just going to call him the man slash Mr. Burns' sidekick. Yeah. The man immediately refuses the drink and slides it toward Tommy. Tommy says, lost your thirst, eh? Mr. Burns says, just show us where they are. Tommy pulls something out of his coat pocket, and it looks like it could be a map. Yeah, I think it was definitely a map. I Yeah, I definitely think so. And he holds it up and says, give me the cash. Mr. Byrne motions to his sidekick, and the man does pull out an envelope full of money and slides it across the table to Tommy. Tommy gives Mr. Byrne the, I'm going to call it the map, gives him the map and tells him he's going to need a shovel. Mr. Byrne and the other man smile. The other man says, you thick effing tinker. Did you think we'd let you live? And he points a gun at Tommy. Mr. Byrne says, make your peace, Mr. Shelby. And then we see Grace standing in the back room and she's obviously nervous. She's breathing heavily and has the gun held at the ready. We hear Tommy say, I will make my peace my own way. Tommy picks up the glass, raises it and says to barmaids who don't count and takes a sip. Grace just comes out and shoots. She shoots and immediately kills Mr. Burns' sidekick. And Tommy is caught by complete surprise, and so is Mr. Byrne. Mr. Byrne and he, Mr. Byrne and Tommy, they just start fighting. Grace is pointing a gun at them, and they're fighting, but she's actually hit and knocked down, like just kind of a casualty of their fight, and she's on the floor in the middle of it. The men continue fighting. They're on the ground, and they're just rolling around. Mr. Byrne is winning this fight and he has Tommy on the ground in a chokehold and not as he only is he in a chokehold, but Tommy's head is covered. And as this is happening, we see a horrible, again, PTSD is such a big thing in this show. Again, it really yeah, opened it my is. eyes, isn't it? Like it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And Tommy's having a flashback. Um, he's having a flashback to whenever he was in a tunnel during the war, because again, he dug tunnels, which is one, was one of the most dangerous jobs that you could be assigned because you're bound to cross paths with the enemy. And he was being attacked and choked by the enemy in his flashback. Tommy somehow starts hitting Mr. Byrne in the groin repeatedly with his elbow, causing Mr. Byrne to let him go. Tommy gets on top of him and there's no way to say this. He completely loses his mind because he realizes it's him or Mr. Byrne. Yeah. He headbutts him. He starts hitting him with, he starts hitting him in the head with some metal object repeatedly. A spittoon. It was a spittoon. Wait, what's that? A spittoon? Tell me. Oh, Lord. Here we go. Hold on. Wait, pause it. Pause it. No, I'm okay. ready. I'm ready. Do you remember in, I think it was episode number one. Where Grace comes into the bar and the guy's like, no, you're way too sweet to work in here. And she starts singing a song and yes. emptying things into a bucket. Yes. The things that she's picking up off the floor, they're like copper, gold colored, like almost like a carafe type thing. Okay. She's picking those up and she's pouring what's inside them into a bucket. Okay. Those are spittoons. So when uh-huh. someone is in a bar or whatever and they have tobacco in their mouth they spit into something oh my god gross i didn't know that's what that was called okay i think that's one of the most disgusting it is because where i'm from and i'm sure a lot of other places have you ever seen somebody do that into like a water bottle it's really disgusting yes it is disgusting so i have even more respect for a spittoon so i don't have to look at the contents that are inside correct disgusting thank you for that i didn't know that (laughs) 
Oh my God. Gross. Okay. Why so, would you know that? So no. yeah, so that's that's why that scene with her is so powerful in, in episode one, because she looks all pretty, but she just goes in there and puts her hand in the mouth of a spittoon and starts emptying them into a bucket while she's singing a song. And it's so gross. Oh and the guy God. sees that she does it so well and while singing that he's like, okay. Oh my God. Okay. See, I swear to God, you'll teach me stuff every single day. Love mm. that. Thank you for that little. You're so welcome. Nugget. So yeah, it's gross. That's what he beats the guy with. Yes. It's... So, <laughs> so um, again, Tommy loses his mind. He headbutts him. He's hitting him with a spittoon. And Grace has regained conscience- consciousness. And she is just watching in horror. Totally watching. Sees it all. Yeah. Sees it all. Tommy... But she doesn't look horrified. She's just watching. Yeah, well, she just looked, I mean, she looked kind of shook. Like, she, like, was like, like, I don't, I don't know. She's watching. She, I don't think she minds what she's watching, but yeah, no. She's watching her man. Yeah. And (laughs) Tommy Mm -hmm. finally stops, and Mr. Byrne is a bloody mess, and obviously dead, because there's just no way that anybody could survive There's no way. Yeah, he's done. Yeah, no, he's donezo, down for the count forever. Tommy looks at Grace, gets off Mr. Byrne, and slowly starts walking to Grace, who looks, I think she looks kind of scared, kind of spooked by what she, what she just saw. And he helps her up from the ground. And this is, this is it. Like, this is just one of the most beautiful yeah. things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He helps her up and he touches her face before briefly grabbing her head and says, why did you shoot? Why did you shoot, Grace? While he's saying this, they're so close that that their noses are touching. Mm -hmm. And he's grabbing her head. And I don't mean in a violent way. It's it's in an intimate way. Like, yeah, yeah, he's not grabbing her or touching her out of anger. Grace starts crying and they're both just, they're just surrendering themselves emotionally to each other they are emotionally there grace says i didn't know i had it in me like that their foreheads are touching noses are still touching and the camera angles here are so great like did you notice that we could see tommy's bottom lip quivering i don't know that i did notice that i'm gonna go back and watch it it's hot no because he's literally just like he's losing it he's crying his bottom lip is quivering and this is the first time we've truly seen him vulnerable with her, mm. like nothing between them. And he says, as he's crying and like lip is quivering, he says, now you've seen me. And Grace says, and now you've seen me. I'm sorry. Let's just unpack this, baby. What, mm-hmm. what did you think? Like, Okay, what... first of all, let's pause. Let's pause because I want to go back for a minute. Yes, absolutely. So when he was helping her, like this is all happening really fast. All so right? fast. From when he comes into the bar, you can't blink. He's like, men are coming here to kill me. You're the person who's going to stop me. It's very, very fast. Yes. And he grabs her quickly and he doesn't know that she's like this agent or whatever. Right. Right. Okay. So he grabs her and he, she, their faces are like touching. He's behind her and he's helping her like to hold the gun, thinking that she's just a barmaid who's never held the gun before. Right. So first of all, that was that was a nice little moment there. Oh, the irony. Like, if only you knew Thomas Shelby. Yeah. 
it was great. But I mean, people are coming to kill him. And in that moment, he still is like, okay, let me make sure that she can actually do what I'm asking her to do. And, you know, then she goes off to wherever she's going to go. And uh, there's also a moment, well, we haven't gotten to it yet, but, you know, where they embrace right after this. Yes. And I love that. (laughs) God, me too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like they both just went through something. They made it through something. And even if it didn't go the way it was supposed to go, she absolutely saved his life. Do you know what? I just had a light bulb moment. And this is something, um, a topic that majorly fascinates me is trauma bonding. Mm -hmm. And that's what we just witnessed. Exactly. Yeah. That what you just said made it go off. Like, I'm completely fascinated by trauma bonding and I, I absolutely understand how trauma bonding happens. I really do. Yeah, for sure. So you can tell that at this moment, the jig is up. There's no more pretending that they are completely in love with each other. It is all coming to a head here. Yep. They have seen each other's souls and they both love what they've seen. They embrace and the coppers walk into the garrison. Tommy lets Grace go and walks up to the coppers. And again, Tommy is still not in control. He's so upset. He says he's screaming and his voice is still quaking. And he says, you were supposed to come on the sixth chime. And he immediately says it again, except he's yelling even more. The cops aren't reacting and Sergeant Moss is just looking at the men dead on the ground. And Tommy says they refused to surrender. They fought well. They were brave men. Loved that part. I thought that was so good. Yeah. That he had res- he had respect for his adversary, even if they were going to do him dirty and, and, you know, kill him that night. Absolutely. That's why I loved him. I can't. He's a man of honor. Like, he mm-hmm. really is, truly. And a man of his word. I, I love that. Sergeant Moss nods matter-of-factly and says, well, he looks like he was killed by a wild effing animal. He Still, was. Yeah, right? That, yeah, no, Tommy came out and it was a different version of Tommy. Mm-hmm. Sergeant Moss says, Still, this never happened and they were never here. Who cares? It really shows a side of Sergeant Moss. <clears throat> Tommy says, Get the bodies out of here. Sergeant Moss says, All right. Are they making the lady uncomfortable? I'll leave you two lovebirds to it then, eh? The whole time, I don't know. Did you notice the whole time Moss is talking to Tommy, Tommy is standing there staring ahead, not looking at Moss. He to me, he looked petrified. And the way he was standing reminded me of a soldier that was like at attention. And then the cops just begin moving the bodies. And Grace just looks at Tommy, whose head is hanging by this point. Like Tommy is still shook by what just happened. And he can't believe it didn't go his way. Like they had this plan and it didn't work. Yeah. But I think he, and this is just me. I wonder if he's also realizing that he was trusting the authorities for one of the first times in his life and they let him down Oh, because they didn't come in when they were supposed to come in. And so to me in that moment, when the officer had no response to that, I was like, I bet that they were just hoping they would all kill each other. Yeah, no, you're, you know what? I like that. You're probably right. Yeah, he does. He looks upset because Moss is on his payroll, right? Like Moss is a dirty cop. He is paid by the Peaky Blinders to turn another eye 
And so I'm sure that Tommy feels like there's some kind of like, I don't even know if camaraderie is the right word, but like Mm -hmm. a certain, like a certain amount of professional respect, like we had Mm -hmm. a deal and I, you know what, you're right. That does make more sense because it, I like that. I, I totally receive that. I like that. Yeah. I think he realized like, you know, I, because for a moment it was like, Hey, you know, we're working together, we're getting something done. And I think he realized that he meant nothing to them per usual. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like just kind of like, okay, whatever. He's a, you know, a street thug. We're not going to help. Yeah. We're going to give it another few minutes and maybe they all just make all our problems go away. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. How did I not compute that before? I think that's a really good take. So <clears throat> they take the bodies out of the, out of the garrison and then we go to the next scene we see tommy and grace walking down a dark deserted street and grace is holding a cigarette and she hands tommy her cigarette and he takes a puff they stand outside the door to her place and he takes a puff and he hands it back to her and there's something about this that's like very intimate right yeah. There's no dialogue really. They're just sharing the cigarette. Not a single word has been spoken. Grace has a coat on a cut on her face, and you can tell that she was obviously just in an altercation if we didn't already know. We know something happened to Grace. Grace says, Thank you. And Tommy says, I'm sorry. And when he says this, Tommy seemed to me like embarrassed and ashamed. Yeah. And I thought that too. Yeah, it's like I can't believe like I dragged you into this. I can't believe you just saw that side of me. And he just starts walking away, leaving Grace standing outside of her door. Yeah, because you know, they have this bedding business and they have the bar and they first of all, let's have a moment for menswear cuz Peaky Ugh. Blinders to me the menswear it's even when yeah, even when like Arthur Jr is getting in the boxing ring, like he's got full on like cufflinks beautiful collar oh like just the accoutrement of that menswear i'm such a fan of oh god me too it's it's a whole aesthetic and i love it and like their hair that haircut to me stands the test of time i'm such a fan of that because it's all perfect but then in a moment of violence, it comes loose and they have this longer hair. And it just is so, I love it. I completely agree with you. And mm-hmm. I, I, I completely agree at first. Cause I was like, I mean, the haircut is stupid, right? I'm like, okay. And it's so funny. I was watching like some interviews with the actors and the guy who plays John, he was getting interviewed and he was talking about his hair. He was like, I just feel like I got the worst of it. <laughs> like, yeah. like he felt like his hair was so extreme. And I'm like, you know what, though? Like, it absolutely, it was created for that show. And the people, you know what? I actually need to, I can't believe I haven't acknowledged by name the person or the people who um, do the costumes because they deserve every award. They are incredible. The tailoring, it is just absolutely, um, absolutely stunning. And yeah, everything with the pocket watches. And then I know Killian Murphy even kept like one of the tailored um, coats whenever oh, the show... I would too he should keep all those coats. I know he was like you know I'm really like more of a relaxed person day by day but like just the tailoring was gorgeous mm-hmm. so he took one of the coats and I was like baby I'd be taking that whole <laughs> wardrobe like <laughs> deduct it from my salary please for sure but to me though he looks so polished 
And even if they do some sketchy things, I mean, for the most part, what she has seen of him and his family is like, we run this business, we have this bar, we're polished, we look good, we're, we don't raise our voices, we're gentlemen. And so she saw the complete ugly core of what it really takes to hold that position. Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, to me, that was his embarrassment and that was his, like the facade was gone for her. If he ever even thought that there could be one for society, for what he and his family were about, it was gone for her. I totally agree. I mean, I, I absolutely agree. He has shown her the animal side of Tommy Shelby and Mm -hmm. it is not something that he's proud of. He's not boasting around, you know, saying that he's an alpha male or anything like that. He just, he's very embarrassed Another thing that I love about this show that I talk about constantly is the cinematography. It is just beautiful. As Tommy is walking away from Grace, it's so somber, but it's still really beautiful. The sounds in the background are still audible, but they're subdued. And there's just all this smoke and fog around Tommy. Mm -hmm. And we can see his coat, the famous slow motion coat, Uh, footage it's just gorgeous so okay chief inspector campbell god he's Mm -hmm. so hard for me sam neil is so good he's great he's just and his attire too he looks good he's got good facial hair oh amazing with the top hat i mean he's always dressed in the night yes very dapper and you know just looking at him like he smells good oh yeah you know he's a solid solid older guy great absolutely so so great we love to hate him in this show but i do love samuel (laughs) love to hate him so um we see grace standing in a park and chief inspector campbell walks up and puts his hand almost touching her face and she kind of shies away campbell says that he had no idea that tommy would involve her in his ugly business and that if he had had known He never would have let it happen. Grace responds and says, he trusts me. I told you that. You didn't believe me. Campbell confirms that he didn't believe her and says that Sergeant Moss made a report that Campbell, of course, burnt. And that the report said that when Sergeant Moss entered the garrison, that Grace and Tommy were embracing. Grace asks him if that's his primary concern. Campbell tells her that his concern is for her welfare. Grace tells him that it was her who killed the man and that she had no control. Campbell responds and says, you've been living with beasts. Grace says, it was the beast that tried to stop me. Grace sits down and says, I believe last night something inside me changed. I no longer feel the need to avenge my father. The hatred that I brought here with me is gone. And therefore my reasons for joining the service. Campbell asks her if she wants to resign, and she says that she thinks their mission has come to a natural end. She then tells him she thinks she knows where the guns are hidden. Grace now has Campbell's full attention, and he tells her to tell him where the guns are hidden. Grace says, if I'm right and the guns are found, you'll have no more business with Thomas Shelby. Is that not so? Our military mission will be over and we can leave the city as we found it. Campbell asks her if she's trying to do a deal with him and that if she is, she must be explicit. So we can tell he's getting spicy now. Yep. 
She tells Campbell that she wants his word that Thomas Shelby will not be harmed if the guns are recovered. She wants his words, his word as a gentleman and asks if he'll give it. Campbell asked, now, why would you want to save him? And Grace says a residue of sympathy. Campbell says sympathy, human sentiment. Grace says yes. And that in Tommy's own way, he has been kind to her. Okay, tell me right now, how did you think Campbell was feeling when she was saying this? Um, I think Campbell realized, like, I put this young woman into an isolated situation with the guy who's more her age. Yeah. (laughs) And and who, like, is running his own show. And I think he's realizing, like, that they have made a connection. And him being on the outside of it all he doesn't have that connection with her. Like she's seen stuff with the guy. She's trauma you know, bonded. part I'm of it. You. Exactly. And he's realizing like, I fucked up. Like, yep. oops. I, instead of yep. her being disgusted by him and whatever, she actually saw a likable soul. And this is what I get now. But I think he's there's part of him, too, that also seems like, OK, all right. Well, she's such a sweet dear because he says something to her like, you're too good for this line of work. Yep. And um, so there's part of me that I think throughout the show, there's a lot of repetitively men underestimating women just as far as their intellect, their like emotional complexity, capabilities, all of it. And that was one of those moments to me where this older guy's looking at her like, she's so sweet. She wants to be nice. I'm like, no, she won't. They go and get together is what's going to happen. <laughs> you know what? So I thought Campbell, I agree with everything you're saying, but I did get the feeling that he was realizing and that he was disgusted and pissed. At yeah, a little bit. But I think he tries to talk himself out of that at the end by being like, you're just too sweet for this. I'm like, no, I feel like you want to go with your instincts on this one. Yeah, no, absolutely and it's so funny because I was watching it and I'm like you know what how do you do this kind of work and see what she's seen and not fall for him I mean I was like this would be me I really understand how that happens I'd have like 10 mob boss boyfriends all over the city just (laughs) running different alcohol and drugs all over the city absolutely like I totally just understood like how does that not happen whenever you find out that he's not actually a monster Uh and that honestly you're more alike than you ever would have imagined absolutely Campbell grabs her hand and you're right tells her that she's too good-hearted for their kind of work Grace says perhaps and then asks for her sake will Campbell spare Tommy he assures her that she has his word We see Grace and Campbell walking, and she tells him that a week after the robbery of their guns, there was a burial at St. Andrew's Churchyard, and that she found out the man that is supposed to be buried is actually alive. She tells him that Arthur is quite transparent, and that she learned that the funeral was attended only by the brothers. She says the grave that they dug was far deeper than your average and lined with lead to keep out the damp. And that the guns are buried in that grave. And Campbell tells her that he and his team will dig up the grave that night. So we see in the next scene, we see Grace singing in the garrison a cappella as she does. And there are people there watching and Tommy walks in. 
we see many scenes happening while Grace's voice is being used as a voiceover in all of these scenes. It's, it's really beautifully done. As the scene is happening, we see the, um, the grave is being dug up by Inspector Campbell and his men. We also see our sweet Arthur sitting at the fighting ring by himself. He's holding a beer, looking nervous, and there's another beer sitting on the table in front of him. Remember, so it's so sad. Him and his dad were supposed to meet yep. there. We see Ada sitting with her baby, and then the scene goes back to Campbell at the gravesite, and his men have finally reached the weapons. Campbell opens one of the boxes and holds one of the weapons up to inspect it. You can tell he's just so satisfied and laughs. We circle back to Grace singing at the pub, and as she's singing, she and Tommy make eye contact, and Tommy is just staring at her and smiling with, I can't describe it as anything, he's just looking at her with pure adoration for her on his face. Mm -hmm. It was so sweet. We see Campbell and Grace at the gravesite. Oh my god, this scene, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. We (laughs) see Campbell and Grace at the gravesite. And they're hauling the weapons away. Campbell says that every gun except for one has been accounted for. Campbell hugs Grace, but Grace is not hugging him back. She does not want to be there with him. Yeah, inappropriate, inappropriate. And there's a there's a power dynamic there, sir. Absolutely. She does not reciprocate. She does not want to be in his arms, but he is oh so eager. Mm-hmm. She tells him that she resigns her commission and Campbell says, good. This scene, y'all, when I tell uh-huh. you I was hiding under the covers the first time I watched <laughs> it and the second time, but I was like, oh, I have to keep looking so I can take notes. I was dying. He tells her that he is no longer her superior officer and that she is no longer his subordinate. I'm sorry. I can't say this without laughing. <laughs> it's so uh-huh. ridiculous. And because of their new dynamic, that allows him to offer her this, which is an engagement ring. In my notes, I literally wrote the audacity in all caps. Mm -hmm. Campbell tells her that he's a simple man and that his admiration for her has turned into love. He tells her that he doesn't ask for love in return, just recognition that they are like minds with shared values. First of all, can we pause real quick and talk about how selfish and myopic that is, myopic of a view that is for an older man to do that? Like, yeah, she's new to town. The only thing she's done since she's been in town is be an undercover spy. And I mean, he's very young. Like, there's no other way to praying on her. Absolutely. Like, she doesn't know anybody. She hasn't gone out and lived her life. She's been in a very stressful, very violent, very, you know, unpleasant situation. And the second she steps away from it, he says, hey, you know what? Let's talk about what you can do for me now. Yeah, no, seriously. And then it's like, my thing is like, imagine proposing to somebody yeah, and saying, I don't ask for your love in return. Like, what? Like, yeah. I, Wait, you I know, don't... but what I have to say, though, I have to say, though, I actually don't have any beef with that. And I'll tell you why, because I think. Please break it down for me. Make it make sense. Because the math I mean, math in. <laughs> it, we could use any, any, 
any myriad examples, right, in real world where we have these like older gentlemen who are on their like 13th wife and the wives stay the same age, right? Right. I don't delude myself into thinking that those men believe that the young women are in love with them. I think that they realize what they have to offer is like financial stability, Mm -hmm. uh, a stress-free life pretty much, just come in and, you know, go to my events with me, have a kid if you you want to, I won't be changing diapers, that whole thing, right? So I think this guy is saying that to her, like, I can offer you, you know, security and stability. And I'm never going to like, he's not the kind of guy who's going to like, I don't know, drink all night and not, you know what I'm saying? Like he's a stable, safe choice, but he has a thing for her. And he's willing to tell her that like, I got a thing for you. If you don't have a thing for me, you know, I don't expect you to try to like convince me of that. I'm fine if you're not like glowing over me all day. That's okay. I have enough of a thing for you that you could just come be with me for all the other reasons that I'm could be attractive to you. So I thought that was really honest and I dug it. I was like, that's better than him thinking and insulting her into believing like, obviously you love me too. And Mm -hmm. obviously you want (laughs) to. Yeah. You know, I guess that's true. And I, and I totally understand what you're saying. Like absolutely people have arrangements and understandings. I get it. But also, I'm just like, some. I don't know. I, I really hear what you're saying, but I'm like, did you have to say it? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, just saying it out loud. Like, here I am proposing to you, but you don't need to love me. <laughs> I don't know. The entire thing from beginning to end is just like so bizarre. I but as know. we go on, as we go on, though, especially after we discuss what happens in a bit, I'll circle back to it. But I think this episode to me presented such a a real and honest view of relationships and that they are partnerships and it's not always it's not always just about like giggly love it's about like deep real shit right and you got to find the right person I I do agree absolutely I agree Campbell then asks Grace to marry him and Grace has just a blank stare on her face like she couldn't actually believe what was happening meanwhile great or campbell is staring at grace like he really truly believes that she's going to say yes like i I really thought i was looking and i was like this man is so hopeful and genuinely believes that she is about to reciprocate this Uh uh-huh grace tells him that he deserves better and he looks crestfallen He looks genuinely shocked that this beautiful, young, smart, good person is rejecting him. He gets riled up and asks Grace if it's Tommy that's between them. Mm. Grace doesn't answer and just tells him that her resignation will be with him in the morning. Mm. It was awkward. It was was awkward. She handled it very well. She did. I mean, it's just like, let's get out of here. Yeah. as soon as possible <laughs> like I can't so this scene right here it's just the climax of between Arthur and his father we see Arthur Jr. running up the stairs at the train station and he walks on the platform and immediately sees his father chatting with two women Arthur walks up to his dad and his dad looks annoyed His demeanor 
is completely different than it was for the rest of the episode. Arthur Sr. asks Arthur who gave him his whereabouts, and Arthur reveals that it was Marston who gave him his whereabouts, and that Marston told Arthur Jr. that his father, quote, left him last night with the bill for his horse. Arthur Sr. looks at his pocket watch and is completely unaffected and says, well, at least we got to say goodbye, son, and bid a fond adieu to your dear brothers, would you? Arthur Arthur Jr. just looks absolutely heartbroken and blindsided and is just completely vulnerable and says, how could you do this to us? Arthur Sr. says, do what, son? And Arthur says all that stuff about the Shelby Casino in Atlantic City. Arthur Sr. says, well, if the truth be told, I'm not so acquainted with that promised land as I had thee believe. Mm. How sad was that? Like So sad, but it was like this one moment of honesty. That's all we got to see of the dad. It's true. It's like it's everything else, else if yes. honest had been just like blowing smoke and these little smiley tales and talking about, you know, his newfound religion and whatever. But this one moment when he's caught, I think he was talking to two young women too when Arthur found him. Yeah. And that's just like this this scene right here is the one scene where you see the true core of who that guy is. It's true. It, you're right. It's the one honest moment that we get from the father where we see mm-hmm. his his true colors. He's done playing games. He's tired. He's like, hey, all right. And I got to yeah, go. Yeah, he got what he needed. He got his stacks of cash. And now he's heading out of town because that's, mm-hmm. that's what he does. It's what he do. Now this scene is just so sad. Paul Anderson, who plays Arthur Jr., is just brilliant. And he is crying and he's so upset and his voice is shaking. And he says, you're an effing liar and a thief. Now you give me back my effing money. Again, his dad is still completely unaffected and he, by his son's, you know, emotions. And he's annoyed by him. And Arthur Sr. starts walking towards him and says, do not despise the thief who steals to satisfy his starvation. That's in the Holy Bible, son. And I've starved for so very long. Fare thee well, son. At this point, Arthur is just completely vulnerable. His dad is telling him all these horrible things. And Arthur still says, it was so sad. He goes, I waited for you. I waited. Terrible. Just awful. And Arthur rushes towards his dad in anger and tries to fight him. And his dad quickly slams him up against the wall. His dad tells him, if you ever put your hands on me again, I'll cut your effing throat and spread you on these tracks. He lets go of Arthur and his dad straightens Arthur Jr.'s jacket and resumes standing on the platform like nothing happened. And Arthur remains on the wall for a second, I think just shaken by what's just happened. He's been Mm -hmm. betrayed by his father. He's been stolen from. He's been lied to. Yep. And Arthur just grabs his hat that's fallen on the platform and walks away from his father. We see Polly sitting there reading the paper and Arthur walks in just looking devastated. Polly knows what's up and asks him where his father is. And she says, I'm assuming he's spreading away the 500 you took from us and put in his thieving, poor groping hands. Mm. Arthur looks ashamed and she asks him what he was thinking she says how dare you do something like that without talking to thomas or me 
Arthur asks if Tommy knows, and Polly calmly says no, but you're going to tell him. And the next scene, Campbell is holding a meeting with the coppers and is basically telling them job well done because the guns they dug up will never be used to murder the innocent. While he's saying this, his voice is being used in another scene as a voiceover. And we see Tommy and Finn walking in the graveyard. It's the third time we've been there, or actually the fourth time we've been there this episode. And they approach Danny Owen's grave and they can tell that the soil is disturbed and the guns are gone and Tommy looks shook, shooketh. And we go back to Campbell addressing the coppers and he says that the man who dug the grave has dug his own. (laughs) Campbell says that he has proved a deadly menace to the king's peace and tonight they will strike him down. We go back to the graveyard where Tommy and Finn are, and Tommy tells Finn, there's going to be trouble now, Finn. You look after yourself. Do you hear me? I'm going to be away for a while. And then he tells Finn to go on and to run away, and we see Finn run away. Arthur is at the ring, and there aren't a lot of people there, but he's obviously completely drunk, and he's stumbling, and he screams, right, who wants to effing fight? Marston tells him that the day is over and they're closing and locking up and Arthur will just not give up. He's so drunk and mad and obviously has misdirected anger and he's dealing with what just happened to him with his father. And Arthur says, my name is Arthur effing Shelby. Who dare fight me? Marston says, go home, lad, before you catch yourself a spanking, which I was like, oh man, a spanking to this grown man. Yeah, and that just further, I don't know, it's just more psychologically um, looking down upon him. He's feeling, I think he's mad at himself more than anyone else at this point. That he was fooled and people tried to tell him not to be. Yeah, and I think he wants someone to like hit him. Like what his father did to him was so, was so awful. It's like he physically had to get it out. That's kind of how I felt. Yeah, it was... um... It was really very sad, very hard to watch. We're back in the garrison and Harry walks up to Grace and says that his brother and Digbeth just said the police are coming down from Derryton and numbers and they're asking for Tommy Shelby by name. Tommy walks up and opens a door and motions for Grace to follow him in there. He tells her he's going to have to lay low for a while because he's lost his bargaining power which were the guns, and that when he gets back, he's going to tell her some things. She warns him about the police already being in Digbeth and says that he took a chance coming to the garrison and asks him why. Before we can get an answer, Finn opens the door where they're standing and tells him that the police are in the lane. Then it's just kind of chaotic. Grace tells Tommy to go with her. She grabs his hand and they rush out. Then we switch scenes and we see the police raiding the Shelby home. We see a car full of police officers unload in front of the garrison, searching for Tommy Shelby. Campbell gets out of the car and spits on the ground in front of the garrison, obviously making a symbolic statement about how he feels about this entire situation and Tommy Shelby. Sergeant Moss and Campbell walk into the pub and everybody's just standing there, silent, obviously nervous. Chief Inspector Campbell announces that he's looking for Thomas Shelby and everyone is completely silent until Harry says so earnestly 
never heard of him. Then little Finn, who's there, pipes up and says, you'll never find him, (laughs) which was so cute. Like, he's just trying to protect his big brother. Yeah. And Campbell slowly walks up to him and tells him to go home. Campbell picks up his gun and says to Harry that perhaps he should ask the question again. The question being, where's Tommy? And this is just so awful, this scene, because Harry is just like this simple man that lays low, like doesn't want any trouble. And Campbell tells Harry to get on his knees and Harry is forced on his knees by two police officers. Campbell walks up to Harry and puts a gun to his head and tells him that he doesn't care if he lives or dies. Harry is terrified and still says that he doesn't know where Tommy is. And still, people are just staring in silence as this is happening. Campbell presses the gun even harder to Harry's head. And Harry finally says that Tommy left with the barmaid. And yet he mm. thinks they're going to her place. I Ouch. love it. Like, because it's true. And it's like, you could have said nothing more that would have <laughs> that would upset Campbell. Like, literally. You can see the fury on Campbell's face and throughout his entire body. It's like it electrifies him. It is immediate. Campbell walks out of the garrison and tells Sergeant Moss to call the entire operation off. Okay, girl, we're we're getting there. We're getting to one of the hottest scenes. And I just literally It's so funny, like listening to this, it's like I'm living it all over again. I just I need a breath. Hang on, let me take a sip of water. I'm getting up hot. Hi, Jake. Oh, stay hydrated. If you know, you know. Okay. So we see Grace and Tommy walk up the stairs to Grace's place, which is basically just a room. I'm sure she lives in some kind of like boarding house or something. Mm-hmm. And she tells him it's not much of a place. They have this cute banter going on like they always do. And Tommy tells her that people look different at home. And she asks him in what way. And he says, off guard. Grace goes over to the window and moves the curtains out of the way so that she look, can look down on the street. And Tommy tells her that whenever the trouble dies down, he'll go. She asks him when he thinks the trouble will die down. And he tells her he thinks it'll be late. And Grace says, so not until morning then? And Tommy says, yes, I'd say I'll be here till morning. And you can tell Tom- that, I feel like palpable. Tommy is- kind of like caught off guard because one thing I will say is that I've watched up until the end of season five because obviously we don't have season six in the U.S. yet Mm -hmm. but it's like his relationship with Grace is like the only one that didn't use sex as a backdoor to a relationship Mm-hmm. it's like they vetted each other for so long and I think that's what makes it so appealing and so sincere again not shaming if anybody does that but you can see how he treats how his relationships with every other woman versus his relationship with her that makes it so sincere and so we build up to it right Tommy notices that Grace has a gramophone and she tells him that it's broken And he assures her that they can still dance. And she says, yes, why not? He walks up to her and tells her that she knows she likes to be asked properly. And then says, Grace, can I have this dance? They start dancing and obviously there's no music playing. And again, they're so close together that their foreheads are resting against one another. Then 
the music, I found this interesting. I noticed, noticed this pattern in, I think, it, episode three. The music that's playing whenever we first see Grace introduced mm-hmm. to the series, it's this ethereal music. And y'all, I tried to Shazam it, but I can't, I couldn't get it to pick up. I Shazammed hmm. it and Shazammed it, but it's this beautiful ethereal music. It almost sounds like a lullaby. And it's used in the very first episode whenever we see Grace walking in in her green coat in episode one. And it's used in episode three whenever we see them getting ready to go to the races, like independently getting ready. And it's being used in this scene whenever they knock boots. It's magical. It's it has to be in the credits. It's got to be in the You know what? Of... It probably is. I'm yeah. just so spoiled by Shazam, but it sounds like a <laughs> lullaby. Like, Shazam is my favorite app. I'm in awe of it. And we see Chief Inspector Campbell emerge from the shadows below, and he can see Grace and Tommy through her window, and he can see them dancing. He can see their little shadows, yeah. He can see it. They start mm-hmm. kissing, and one thing leads to another. And BBDB, can you please just describe <laughs> what happens? Absolutely. So, I mean, I I'm a fan of the scenes where um, they really show like the heart of people, and I feel like they did a great job with that. Like, you don't see nipples, you don't no. see you don't see booties up in your face, no, but you don't. see enough. You see, it's it's the female gaze for sure that we get there you know Absolutely. we see a shoulder blade a kiss someone's back like it's all it's all happening but we don't have to be lewd about it and um i mean to me like the best part and i know that you've made a meme about this is when they're laying in the bed afterwards and what he says to her because <sighs> it is it is the anti fuck boy it is like if there was ever an opposite moment like write everything out that a fuck boy is and what he would say to you. And then complete opposite of that is what, what Tommy Shelby gives us in that moment. Um, but I'll, I'll throw that back to you because I know that you made a meme about it because you like it so much. <laughs> because it's ingrained in my brain forever. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're so right. Um, Cause you're, you're right. It's like, okay. Yeah. Like we see not a whole lot. I mean, yeah, we see them from the side, but like, it's not it's not nasty it's not lewd it's not gross but it's still just like the hottest thing i've ever seen because the undertone is that there's so much respect and love between yes that's what it is and that it's finally happening after all these interactions all these interactions and all they've done up to this point is kiss and so as this is happening, they've all, they're already emotionally raw, right? Completely surrendered themselves. And then this is just, there's nothing between them. They're naked. You can see his scars, which we had never. And hers, and hers on her forehead. Yes. And it's just so like symbolic and figurative. And it's like, we see each other and it's almost like them seeing each other. Their souls is like secondary I'm sorry, like primary to this and that that's even more intimate than what they're doing physically to me because it's just so much. For sure. Like his whole get up and his his posh and his perfect outfit and her barmaid status, all that is gone and they're just two people. Absolutely. They conclude and Grace asks Tommy if he's okay. One of the most beautiful and raw scenes ever, y'all, I swear. And 
then Tommy says, I can't hear the shovels. He says, I don't hear the shovels against the wall. Which, again, is so powerful because as we've seen in the previous episodes, Tommy has this dirty little secret that he uses brown opium to sleep at night to help him combat his PTSD and the shovels against the wall that he has, you know, in his head that are this, he can never escape them. And it's just this, you know, his brown opium is this dirty secret that he keeps hiding. He doesn't want anybody to know about it he doesn't want anybody to hear you know see his weakness but this one encounter with grace brings him that much peace and it is just so unbelievably powerful he says he can't hear the shovels against the wall and they're lying there and grace says what shovels he doesn't answer as help you with what Tommy says, with everything, the whole effing thing, effing life, business, I found you and you found me, we'll help each other. And then he kisses her. (gasps) Love it. It's a lot to take in, y'all. Like, we could all be so lucky to be seen and heard like that and want nothing. They just want to treat you as an equal. Yeah. Grace lays there conflicted between this wonderful moment and knowing that she's betrayed him. You can tell that she's devastated by what she's done and that as soon as she tells him, as soon as he finds out, things are going to change. So we get to this scene, which is extremely heavy. Um, actually, trigger warning. Um by suicide dying by suicide and Arthur is in a fighting ring by himself and again is just stumbling around completely drunk he is hysterically crying and grabs something that kind of looks like a rope I I guess that's kind of you know what it is he I think I thought it was a jump rope wasn't it oh yeah it might be yeah because I was like it's like it looks like a rope but not yeah I think it's an old school jump rope that would make sense in a boxing ring okay So he grabs his jump rope off the side of the ring and he steps on a step stool, which this whole thing was just so sad and had me on the edge of my seat. I was like, oh my God, are we going to lose Arthur? Like, please. He stands on a step stool, ties this object around his neck and throws it over the rafters and he starts saying the Lord's Prayer. He then steps off the step stool and as he's hanging there, you know, the step stool topples over He's hanging there and we get a close up his, of his face, which is just terrifying. And it seems like this where I'm like, how does one manipulate their face? Like, cause he literally looked like he was strangling. Yeah. And the, and the part that made me really sad, I, cause I could not remember. It's been years since I watched the show. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember if he lived or if he didn't. And so there's a moment where he's hanging mm-hmm. and there's a tear that starts to fall. Yes. And it's so so powerful and so sad because you wonder in that moment are you crying because it's just a physical reaction to what's happening or are you regretful about what you're doing but it's too late to go back or are you crying because you're just saying goodbye I don't know no absolutely that is in my notes we see a tear come out of his eye as he's strangling himself I mean literally you can it's happening 
And then, honestly, I'm just going to say, by the grace of God, the rope breaks and he falls to the ground. Mm-hmm. And he lays there on the ground, just gagging and gasping for air. We see Campbell in the next scene sitting at his desk and the phone rings and he's telling someone to send a telegram to Mr. Churchill and that the business he came to tend to has been completed. We see Grace laying in her bed with Tommy and they're just peacefully sleeping as the sunlight shines through the curtains. As Tommy and Grace lay there, there's a voice over from Chief Inspector Campbell that says there's just one matter that he needs to tidy up first. We see Arthur back at home sitting down and Tommy walks in and sees the marks from the rope on Arthur's neck. And Tommy just walks up and tenderly touches him on his shoulder and he touches the marks on his neck. Arthur says, so Polly told you? And Tommy says, yes, and pours them both some tea. Tommy tells Arthur that he should have used a gun. And this isn't funny, but it's just this funny banter. Oh, yeah. But I mean, obviously, it's not. Dark humor. I mean, I love dark humor. Yeah, no, I do too. But it's just like, God, we need this moment of levity after everything that's happened. And after this last scene, Arthur says, are you laughing at me, Tommy? And Tommy matter-of-factly says, yes. Tommy continues and says, just when things are starting to go right, Arthur, you try and do this. Don't you like fancy parties, women, champagne, and fast cars? And how about this? Tommy pulls out a business card and says, your name on a business card. Arthur reads what's on the business card out loud. Shelby Brothers Limited. Arthur Shelby, associate bookmaker. Tommy tells Arthur that he just picked the business cards up from the printer that morning and tells Arthur that he's one of three shareholders, the other two being Tommy and John, and that according to the law, they are equal partners and it is written on the paperwork in black and white. Tommy then says a little bit of you know humor. He says, well, me and John, we quite fancy splitting your shares. So just next time, use a gun, man. Arthur finally starts to laugh, and so does Tommy. Tommy tells Arthur that that their men at the station tell them that the copper, meaning Chief Inspector Campbell, is leaving town and that they're in the clear. Tommy lovingly grabs Arthur's shoulder and says, we're on our way up in the world, brother. Arthur lovingly grabs Tommy's neck, and Tommy says, believe me. And it's just such a sincere, really beautiful moment between these brothers that are just trying to survive then the song bring it on by nick cave and the bad seeds play and that's also the band that sings red right hand which is the theme song which is incredible so that's the theme song used throughout the entire series for peaky blinders then the next scene that we see is really beautiful because we it literally pans over from them from tommy and arthur sitting there and it goes over and we see polly walking down the stairs and she's smiling Polly looks truly pleased, and we see Esme closing the doors to the bedding room, which is busy and bustling as usual. And it's clear that this scene is representing a passage of time, and we're not in the same scene or time where we just saw Tommy and Arthur in the other room. We see Tommy sitting behind a desk, smoking and reading the newspaper, and this scene feels triumphant. 
Tommy gets up and the whole bedding room is moving in slow motion and Tommy is walking through it and you can just tell that Tommy is genuinely happy and that things are going well. We see Tommy put on his coat and he walks to the door that leads outside and the use of light here was super interesting. Didn't you think like how light it was and how white it was? Yeah, and I mean... I kind of like when they do things like this in Peaky Blinders, but it also irritates me when we jump over sections and we just understand that things have changed and things are different and we don't know what we missed. Right. You know? Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're referring to, Uh, (laughs) which I don't like it. We'll get to that in later episodes, but the light here, the use of light was super interesting because it was so light and so bright. And I couldn't help but think that had to be, you know, like a visual representation indicating of like the future is bright, how well yeah. things are going for them. Absolutely. And then Tommy just walks forward as he approaches it. He becomes, you know, like this black shape walking out the door. Is so there good. anything that we didn't cover or anything that you had that I didn't talk about or any point that well here's the only thing that irritates me about episode five is that it ends in that kind of like magical way like and they lived happily ever but we don't see grace right and we don't hear about i think it's inspector campbell right i always want to say sam oh you know yeah but (laughs) samuel yeah (laughs) but it's like well he's not gonna he's not just gonna leave and let her be happy that doesn't seem like his personality and yet at the end of this episode it's like is everything okay? What year is it? I don't know how many weeks have gone by. No, I know. The past so is it's just like, Yeah. It's this weird, like, false sense of security you get at episode five. And you're like, it's all going to be great. Oh, I know. Because, um, yeah, it all goes down in episode six, which I will be releasing at the same time that I release this episode today. And, um, yeah, it is totally a different vibe there but the end of this episode is extremely extremely triumphant Mm -hmm. um it is it is bbdb thank you so much for being here please please tell the people where they can find you what's going on what's up with you sure so instagram bravo bravo ducking bravo i do have a twitter i'm never on it um i do have a tiktok i post sporadically same handle on tiktok bravo bravo ducking bravo and you know i don't know i haven't done a deep dive in a while i'm really looking into a couple different things so we'll see if something sparks my fancy but other than that just making memes and jokes y'all if you are not following bravo bravo ducking bravo on instagram my condolences um (laughs) she has the best deep dives and like what kills me about, well, I mean, everything you do, do, like, kills me. It makes me laugh. But it's, like, the locations you use whenever you make a snarky meme <laughs> is, like, the best. You know, if there's a field, if there's an additional field to fill out and make a choice, then have fun with it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, y'all, follow her. She's the best. She's my buddy. Um, Adore you. I adore you. I truly do. And she, I'm, thank you so much. Whenever I was telling her, I was thinking about doing this podcast. 
I was like, but you have to come on. She was like, yeah, no, I was just about to tell you I was going to come on. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm so glad that you're here. It means so much for you taking time out of your day, out of your Sunday. And um, I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Hey, it was a pleasure. This is the highlight of my weekend. I'm going to go do other weekend things now, like laundry and stuff. So highlight of mine too. Yes. I've been looking forward (laughs) to it. Literally. I'm like, I get to talk to her. I'm so pumped. So I will talk to you soon, friend. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of By the Order. I hope you tune in next time as I discuss episode six. If you would like to know where you can find me, I am on Instagram at the Neighborhood Hype Girl. Come on over. We would love to have you. By the Order is written, hosted, and edited by me, the Neighborhood Hype Girl. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon.